preaching through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and we'll begin at verse 49, and by the grace of God, we're going to finish the chapter today. There was a dad one time out playing a lot of sports. He said, you know, I was wondering why the ball kept getting bigger and bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> All right, Luke 12, verse 49. All right, strangely enough, the name of my sermon is, How Did You Miss That? <laughs> Luke 12 and verse, we're going to begin our, our preaching in verse 49. Can we just read verses 56 and 57? I want to introduce the sermon with these two verses, then we'll pray and, and get into this. Before we read, can I just say a quick, quick thing about this series that we're doing through the Gospel of Luke. I, I have found it a, a refreshing, a blessing to get to study certain passages that I normally wouldn't spend as much time on. I, I've studied all of these things and I've taught pretty much all of these passages. I've never had to preach through all of them. Some of these passages lend themselves better to teaching rather than preaching. So to try to make them into sermons has been a bit challenging. But as you can expect, the Lord has been very faithful and week in and week out I have learned things about these passages I've never realized or recognized before. But one thing that's very refreshing about going verse by verse and passage by passage, you, you get introduced to the totality of what Jesus taught. Rather than just, you know, picking the comfortable parts or the bright, cheery parts, you find out that Jesus had some hard things to say. And that, yes, he had some very wonderful things that do comfort the soul and bring great peace, but at the same time, he wasn't afraid to put the hammer down. He wasn't afraid to tell it like it is. And uh, he, it wasn't verse after verse of uh, God loves you and everything's going to be fine. And Jesus wasn't a cheerleader. Now, he knew, he knew when to comfort people. He knew how to do that. But, but a lot of this stuff goes much deeper than the average Sunday morning sermon. And that's why I think it's been good for us as a church to see this. And hopefully we still have a lot of the Gospel of Luke to go. I hope we continue to get that total picture of what Jesus was teaching and preaching about. So Luke chapter 12 and verse 56. Jesus says to this bunch, Ye hypocrites, <clears throat> ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time. Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? And from this, these verses comes my title, Guys, how did you miss it? How did you miss that? So if you would bow your heads, let's ask God to help us with this. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. We're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired it and has preserved it. Up until this very point, we can trust every word in this blessed book. Father, we ask it as we open it, study it, read it, learn from it, that, that you, Lord, would step in and touch our hearts and speak to us as individuals today. Father, please, you know where we're at in our lives and what we need to hear so that we can grow. Please speak to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I want to refresh your memory as well, what we've looked at in chapter 12. Because in the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, you can see there was an innumerable multitude of people that have gathered before Jesus. He addresses them, and after he's taught them a few things, in verse 13, one of the company, 
speaks up and says, hey, can't you help me get these earthly possessions? And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, I don't think you understand why I'm here. That's not my function. There's other people that does that. And he gives him a warning about covetousness. And down to verse number 20, he says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Very sharp, very to the point. But he's rebuking that one of the company, just one of the crowd. Because this man is asked about this world's riches, Jesus then turns to his disciples in verse 22, and he gives them some thoughts about how to properly view money, how to use it, uh, what God expects of you and, and money. And he emphasizes in verse 31, Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Last week we looked at how Jesus then launches into a, a series of verses that reminds us He's coming again. Now, now understand, this is a pivotal point in the life of Jesus. Up until this time, He did not spend a lot of time talking about His second coming. But right about here, as He is marching towards Jerusalem, He starts to talk more about His second coming because He knows, my people have rejected Me. I am not going to be able to establish the kingdom here and now. I'm heading to the cross. And these people need to get ready for when I come back. They've pretty much had their chance at my first coming. Now I'm going to get them ready for my second coming. So there's a bit of a pivot towards that. And, and he reminds them, guys, I don't know the day or the hour, but I'm coming. Be ready. Peter then asked this very great question. We looked at it last week in verse 41. Is this parable unto us or even to all? And Jesus talks about four different possibilities of servants. And we're not going to re-preach the whole sermon, but you need to know what kind of servant you are and which kind of servant you need to become. And at, at, at the conclusion of this, having said all of that, I believe from verses 49 down to 59, Jesus then expresses some grief. He is going to uh, tell us about something that has hurt him, something that has grieved him and caused him sorrow and pain of heart and and he's going to explain to the people, guys, this has hurt me. I've made myself abundantly clear. I couldn't have made it any more clear. I not only said the truth, I told you where to go find it in the Bible, and I've been doing the miracles that the Father told me to do. You have all the evidence that you need. And I think there's one resounding question slash thought that comes from this. How did you miss it? I, I couldn't have done more than I've done. He's walked on water. He's fed the multitudes. He's raised the dead. He's given sight to the blind. He's cleansed the lepers. What more do you want? He's preached the truth. He said, go check it with Moses. Check it in the law, the jots and tittles. Every part of it's been fulfilled. How did you miss it? Because the world in which Jesus was ministering, that society, that country at that time, they were so confused because of their religious slant. The religious leaders had confused them with, a, with bad Bible teaching, with man-made traditions, with hypocrisy. The people were somehow blinded to what should have been obvious. Might I say the same thing happens today? I mean, today, folks, the same thing is true, that there is abundant, clear, validated truth and, and evidence that we can refer to and study. And how is it that so many people miss it? Could it be true that maybe even today some of you are still missing it? 
Maybe there's something that is stopping you from seeing what should be so clear right there in front of you. It is difficult enough to know God, to walk with God, to understand what the Lord said. It is difficult enough. It is a spiritual battle. The devil will do all he can to keep you from drawing nigh to God. Amen? Amen. We don't need to make life any more difficult by being oblivious to what God is clearly doing. And these folks were making life more difficult than it needed to be. And Jesus' reaction to this was one of heartbreak. I came to minister to you. I came to gather you as chicks under the wings of the hen, but you just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't listen. How'd you miss it? Some years ago, this study, this experiment, it was posted online. I'm assuming that many of you have seen this. They call it the selective attention test. How many of you know that test? Selective attention test. None of you. I feel so bad. I'm about to spoil this for you. You can go look at it online later. Uh, it's all over YouTube. So what they did is they have six people come up on a platform. Three of them are wearing white shirts. Three of them wearing black shirts. And there's a curtain behind them. It's red. And they say, now, count how many times the people with white shirts pass the ball. Now, if you've done many sports in basketball, I used to coach basketball, we do a weave drill, and I know in other sports they do it as well, where, where you, you throw the ball, you run, the high, run behind the guy, and then he throws the ball to the guy on the other side, and you just keep weaving in and out and tossing the ball. So, the first time I ever saw this test, I am locked in on the white shirts, going, okay, one, two, and I'm watching that ball every time. I don't even see the people in black shirts and how many times they're passing their ball. I don't care, because what's the test for? Watch the white shirts. At the end of the test, they flashed the correct answer. They passed it 16 times, and I went, yes, I got it right. And they said, did you notice the gorilla that walked through the middle of the test? Rewind, rewind, rewind. <laughs> what? And sure enough, the white shirts and black shirts are weaving in and out. There's a man in a gorilla suit that just wandered right through the middle of it like this. <laughs> Stopped, pounded his chest, and walked off. I said, how did I not see that? It's a gorilla for crying out loud. And they said, you might have also missed that one of the people in black shirts walked off in the middle of it. Rewind, rewind, rewind. What? Sure enough, just out he went. I said, I didn't see that. And then it said, you might have also missed that the curtain changed colors from red to gold. Rewind, rewind, rewind. What? Sure enough, I had missed all of it. They came up with a special term for this. It's called inattentional blindness. It's because you're so focused on one thing, you're not paying attention to all the other things going on. Do you understand that the God of this world, little g, Satan, the Bible says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's not a gorilla walking through pounding his chest. It is the light of the world walking through a darkened world. And we miss it. Why? Because the devil says, count how many times the ball gets passed. So we're so focused in, okay, how can I make money? 
right? How can I buy more stuff? How can I accomplish it? How can I get the promotion? How can I make friends? How so caught up with worldly, temporal things that are, okay, worthy of some attention, but not that attention. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Keep your focus on that. The things will come. But we're busy missing what's happening right in the middle of our life because we have inattentional blindness. The devil's very tricky. He doesn't have to put his hands over your eyes. All he has to, su- all he has to do is say, hey, look over here. And you're not seeing him picking your pocket over here, taking from you what's so incredibly important. So let's look at three things that were missed in the passage. Verses 49 to 53, the first thing that's missed, I'm going to say they were missing natural affection. Now I know that might sound like a strange uh, uh, point, a strange phrase to put for this, but let's, let's look at the verses and I think you'll see it. Verse 49, Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth. Now that's a statement that we don't preach on much, but there it stands in the Bible. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? I came to find out that pretty much every new translation of the English Bible has changed that verse. Changed it so much you can't can't understand it the way they've changed it. They they changed the meaning completely. So rather than talk about that, I'm just bringing that to your attention. We're going to deal with what we've read in this Bible here, in this King James Bible. I am come to send fire on the earth. One day, folks, Jesus is going to come back and send a literal, actual fire down on the earth. At the Battle of Armageddon, that is a real fire that's going to happen. But if, if Jesus were talking about that fire, we would read verse 49 differently. Verse 49 says, I am come. He didn't say, I will come to send fire. That would be the future one at the battle of Armageddon. He said, I am come. I'm here right now to send fire on the earth. That sounds so strange, doesn't it? Jesus didn't burn anything down when he was on the earth. His disciples wanted to. You remember that? In Luke 9, they said, can we call fire down from heaven? He said, guys, you don't know what spirit you're of. You guys are just wild. Calm down. And then he comes two chapters later and says, oh, by the way, I'm come to send fire on the earth. So in just a moment, Jesus will interpret himself what he means by that fire. But notice the end of the verse. He says, and what will I if it be already kindled? So he says, I've come to start a fire. But lo and behold, I get here and the fire's already burning. He said, now, what will I... How does this change my plans? How does this affect what my plan was? Because my plan was to come and bring about this fire, but I show up and the fire's already lit. So what am I supposed to do with that? Verse 50, he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's not a baptism of water. He's already been baptized in water. He says, I have a uh, a baptism to be baptized with. This is a baptism of suffering. He knows that the cross is not very far in his future. He knows he's about to enter into the worst suffering anybody on the earth has ever experienced. And if I might say, he's not looking forward to that. He's looking forward to the joy set before him. That is, once he rises again from the dead, he can save our souls. But going to the cross, he prayed and said, Father, let this pass from me. He knows that intense suffering is about to happen. But then he says, verse 50, 
And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Straightened, guys, the, the word straight in English, we pronounce it the same, but two different words here. Straight as in rechet, that's not left or right, but going straight. Okay, that's rechet. This straightened, this is to be constricted. This is to have your heart in a vice and it's getting squeezed. This is heartseer. He's, he's grieved, he's pressed in the spirit. Something is already causing him to grieve and to suffer before he gets to the cross. Something is affecting him deeply. It's touching him. What is it? Verse 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. Ah, now we're coming to what that fire is. He says, guys, I didn't come to give peace. I, I, I came to start a fire. What does he mean? He says, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather what? Division. The, the fire is a metaphor for division. And, and don't worry, I'm going to show you. That's not just my interpretation. I'll show you from the scripture how we know that to be true. Now you might look at that and think, but why would Jesus do that? He's the Prince of Peace. Isn't he supposed to bring us together? Jesus knew, God knew that by sending his Son, it was inevitable that people will divide because of him. Some will believe and follow. Some will disbelieve and then persecute those that follow. There was no way that God could avoid that harsh reality. Anytime you introduce an absolute truth and say, this is right. By, simply by saying, this is right, others will say, nope, don't agree with that, division. Even though it wasn't your intention to divide anybody, your intention was simply to tell the truth. Those that disbelieve it, there will be division. Jesus knew that fire is inevitable. He said, I've come to divide. Now in verse 52 he goes on to say, for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against everybody. No, I'm kidding. The mother-in-law <laughs> the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see where he's going. Almost as if you could put an ellipse at the end, you know, dot, 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 etc. This could go on and on and on. Jesus knew this would happen. This is not that he, he didn't want it to happen, but he knew by coming, this is going to happen. Hold your place here and look at Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see a different metaphor for this same exact lesson that he's teaching. Matthew chapter 10. If I have my bearings right, I don't think I'm far off in saying this. Many of you have experienced this fire in your lives. Many of you, when you got saved, your family are not, they're not fellow believers. And there might have been a certain level of peace in your family because no one was rocking the boat. But as soon as you got saved, you showed up at that family brai and said, Ekes Noah Christen, and oh boy, you rocked the boat. And the division came, and things got ugly. And, and fiery, fiery tempers. And all of a sudden, there was a division. Why? Because somebody's now following Christ. And not everybody's going to be on board with that. Matthew 10, let's look please at verse number 34. Same lesson. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. 
I came not to send, uh, not to send peace, but a sword. So the sword and the fire are two metaphors that teach the same lesson. Verse 35, I am come to set a man at variance against his father. Verse 36, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I can't help but read verse 37 with you. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is an extreme stand that Jesus calls his disciples to take. Anytime somebody takes an extreme stand, there will be division. Hence, on the university campus this week, a young man stands for Jesus Christ and there's a division. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Jesus, why was he straightened? What was hurting his heart so much? When he showed up, he knew by introducing the truth about who I am, families will divide. He showed up and you know what he found? They're already divided. They're already fussing and fighting and arguing and shouting and throwing stuff and making their lives at home a living hell. And Jesus thought, this is exactly what I came to solve. And look at this fire is just burning. I can't even put it out. And I know by me giving them truth, it's only going to cause more contention and strife in the home. And that's what broke his heart. He said, guys, you're missing it. I, I, you're going to have a, a difficult enough time getting along once you take a stand for me. You don't need to make your life at home any more difficult by fighting over a bunch of nonsense. You ought to learn to live at peace in your home so that when you have to take a difficult stand for the Lord, you can take it together. You don't need to make it any more difficult than it is. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 21, just listen to the verse. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, fire, I said wood, wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. You know what the fire is? Strife. Fussing and fighting at home. Jesus knew that he would be the cause of some of that, not that he wanted it, Inevitable, but how it broke his heart to find homes divided. How, you, how do you destroy a nation? You divide it. How do you divide a nation? Jesus taught us this, right? If a nation be divided against itself, how can it stand? How do you divide a nation? A nation is made of cities. Divide the city. How do you divide cities? What are cities made of? Homes. Household. Divide the household. Where does the household start? There's a mom and a dad and kids. But the base of that is mom and dad. It's mom and dad. And when the fire of contention is burning between mom and dad, do you understand how hard it is for anybody in that home to hear from God? Listen, the first place that young people learn about love and specifically the love of God is in their home. Not in a church. It's in their home. They grow up and, and in their minds... They just intuitively know mom and dad should love each other. 
They don't need to learn that in a book. They just know my home should be a safe place where I'm loved and accepted and cared for. And when they hear mom and dad fussing and fighting, angry at each other, never able to get along, never able to have a calm conversation, they begin to think, if this is what love is, if this is what love is, I don't know if I want any piece of this. And then when God shows up with a loving hand and says, come into my family, they say, no, thank you. I've already had a family and I didn't like that so much. I'll go join a gang. I'll, I'll, go, ha- I'll go get some friends that know how to have a good time. I don't want any business there. They're making it more difficult than it needed to be. The fire was already kindled. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days perilous times shall come. Interestingly enough, Paul lists off 18 things. 666. 18 things that typify and illustrate the end times. Amongst those, he said, one of them is that the people will be without natural affection. Hence my first point. They're missing natural affection. What does the words natural affection mean? Hard-hearted toward your family. You look at the Greek words behind that, that's, that's the, liter- the most literal way to say it. They're hard-hearted towards their family. It should come natural, but it didn't. Because the devil knows if he can ruin you at home, it's going to make it very difficult to get right with God. Peter told the men, he said, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the weaker vessel. He said, Being your heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Your relationship with God is hindered because you can't get along with the people in your home. man came to a pastor one time. He said, Pastor, oh, Pastor, I'd like to get some advice from you. He said, my wife is the incarnation of the devil. That woman is the worst thing that has ever walked the face of the earth. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and therefore I know it's wrong to divorce her, but she is so mean. Pastor, I want to separate from my wife. I can't stand her. She's a horrible person. She makes my life miserable. The pastor calmly said, sir, let me remind you that the Bible says, husbands, Love your wives. And he said, well, pastor, I I know the Bible says that, but listen, you don't know my wife. She is mean and nasty and hard-hearted. I mean, the things she says to me, no one could live with her. Now, listen, I'm not going to divorce her, but pastor, here's what I have in mind. The house next to us is opened up. I'm going to rent it for her because I cannot dwell with that contentious woman under my roof. We're going to get along so much better if she's over there and I'm over here. Isn't that okay if we separate like that? He said, well, sir, the Bible says, love your neighbor. (laughs) He thought, okay. A little disheartened, this man says, but pastor, you don't understand. I hate this woman. I hate her. She has earned my perfect hatred. She is out to get me. She is trying to destroy me. I count her my worst enemy. The pastor said, well, love your enemy. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point? You just, you can't get around it. No matter what you do, no matter how you spin it, no matter what your perspective, you're supposed to love that person in your home. Now, it's not just limited to your home, but especially 
in your home. Do what you need to do to make things right at home. That way, that way your prayers aren't hindered. That way there's a joy of the Lord that, that leaves the house with you to come to the church house. And, and there you can sit here and enjoy the Word of God and the fellowship of the other saints. And you can go back home and talk about how great it was to be in God's presence for a while. And you can enjoy the things of God. You're going to have enough stuff that will divide you. You don't need to make it more difficult. What were they missing? Natural affection. Something that God expects from any home. In verses 54 down to 57, we see the second thing. What what else were they missing? I believe they were missing biblical discernment. Biblical discernment. In verse 54, he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. We've already read it, but ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? These folks were able to walk out of their house or look through the window, look at how things appeared, and then predict the near future going to be a hot day, sunny day, clear day, etc. He says, now you guys are able to do that, but you can't look around at what's going on in the world and what's going on in your town, what's going on in your heart. You can't put all the dots together. You can't connect the dots. You can't see, based on what the Bible says, what God is right now doing. You can't recognize that the Messiah is right there in Jesus, that that he is the fulfillment. You don't see it? Are you not able to tell when God is at work? If you look at the verse carefully in verse 56, how is it that you do not discern this time? You know what they were missing? They were not only missing what was about to happen. They couldn't, when he says, I'm coming back, be ready, you don't know the day, they missed that. They didn't get that. But that's not what he said in verse 56. How, you can't discern this time. You don't even know what's going on right now. So it's one thing to look out the window and say, hmm, okay, the sky looks like this, therefore tomorrow or tonight it will be this. That's the future. This is the guy looks out the window and it's a bright, sunshiny day and he says, oh, look, shame, clouds and gloom. And he can't even tell what the weather's like when he sticks his head out the window. Hey, listen, the light of the world was walking in their midst. And all they could see was the Roman Empire, dark and gloom and overshadowing them, missing the light of the world right there. They couldn't even tell what was happening at that moment. Can you? Do you know where we're at in our society today? Some people would actually look at what's going on in the world and say, we're making progress. Some people would. But when you add a Bible to this, and we say, what does the Bible say about this? We we come to a very different conclusion. How many of you have ever done this? Have you ever opened your weather app, and perhaps it's raining outside, but you open the app and it says sunshine? Have you ever done that? Or vice versa, you know? It says rain, but you're like, where? (laughs) Which city is this? Because that is not what's happening. I've often thought, I I need to get a job there. (laughs) Because it's not that hard, right? Look out the window, write it in the app. (laughs) There it is. Maybe just a side note, but perhaps you would do better to put your app down and go outside and pay attention. 
Just look around. Put the app down. Put the device down. Go outside with the Bible. Talk to people in the world. Find out what they think progress is, what they think right is, what they think wrong is. Compare it with the Bible and find out where are we as a society. Are we getting closer to God or farther away? By the way, that will tell you where we're at on God's timeline if you just take the time to biblically discern what's happening. I think the buzzword for today's world is inclusion. we, We have to be inclusive. That's become the measuring stick for righteousness. As it pertains to inclusion and including everyone, can I just say the body of Christ has done the best job of that out of any organization in the entire world. We take them all. We don't care where you're from, what language you speak, what color of skin you have, what your culture is. You come humbly to Christ in godly sorrow and repentance. Accept Him as your Savior. Welcome. We include you. How's that for inclusion? But never... Never, never, noit, never will evil become good. And never will good become evil. We are not going to change reality so that you feel included. You change your mind and you will be included. In order to be accepted in the beloved, you must accept the beloved. You can't change the beloved. We have reached what was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 5. The prophet said over 2,700 years ago that there will be a day when they call evil good and good evil. When they say the bitter is sweet and the sweet is bitter. Literally the world is turned upside down. We need Jesus to come in and turn it right side up. Why have they missed it? Hold your place here. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Why did they miss it? Acts 13. Look with me quickly at verse 27. When Jesus showed up and the statement began to be spread that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, in the, in the mind of the Jews, they had a different picture in mind for what the Messiah should have been. In their mind, the Messiah would come in, fight against the Romans, give the kingdom back to Israel, and that's it. But Jesus showed up and said, no, 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 there's a lot more to the kingdom than that. You need to repent. First word out of his mouth when he began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus taught us that the kingdom, the issue of the kingdom starts in your heart, not in politics, in your heart. And the people weren't ready for that. Can I just say the same thing applies today? Folks, the issue is not, well, the government's this and the, and the municipal services is that and the university this and my job is that. It's about your heart. You can't control what the world is doing. You can control your reaction to it. It is a matter of the heart. The Jews did not know what to do with Jesus because he did not fit their man-made description of what the Messiah should be. Be very careful that you do not create a God after your own image. You need to accept the God that, that has presented himself through history and recorded in the Bible. Acts 13, 27, it says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, that is, they didn't recognize Jesus, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. They didn't know what the Messiah should be, and they weren't familiar with their Bible. 
They weren't familiar with the voices of the prophets that were read every week in their church, in the synagogue. And because they weren't clued in with their Bibles, the truth was standing right in front of them and they missed it. Because they didn't know what to expect. How many times have I heard somebody say, Pastor, do you believe in the Holy Ghost? Well, sure I do. Now, what they mean when they say that is, do you believe in the Pentecostal slash charismatic version of the outworking of the Holy Ghost? That's what they mean by that. Now, that's a different question. But I know from the Bible what the Holy Spirit has said He will do. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We understand what the Spirit has come to do to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and to bring people to Jesus and show them their need for a Savior. The Bible has told us how the Holy Spirit will work. I don't need some private subjective experience that is only between me and God and say, everybody has to have this same experience that I'm having. That's I know the Holy Spirit can work with you as an individual, but never will He contradict what He has said in the Bible. And people are unable to, to discern, is this the Holy Spirit or some other spirit? Why? They're missing the Bible. They're trusting their feeling. Well, it felt good, and I enjoyed that experience. There are lots of things that feel right that are very wrong. That second bowl of ice cream you had last night <laughs> felt good, probably not right. <laughs> Probably not right. What are we suffering from today? We have a lack of a final authority. We are right back to the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Well, it makes sense to me, and it felt good to me, and I experienced it, but, but, is, but did God say that's how it should be? And then the last thing I want to point out, verses 58 to 59 something else that they missed. And it hurt the heart of the Lord. It pained Him. They missed the urgency of the situation. Verse 58, When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee or haul thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee that thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. Every penny. Every last cent you're going to pay for what you've done wrong. They, they were missing the urgency of the situation. These first two things we looked at, Jesus had come, the fire was burning, contentions at home. They didn't understand their Bible, so they missed what Jesus was doing. But as a result of them missing that, it leads to this. It leads to people not taking sin seriously. Here is an illustration of somebody that has committed a crime against someone else. He's going to court. He's guilty. He deserves to be punished. What does he do? Rather than rushing over to the person he offended and saying, please, I'm so sorry, how can I make it right? You know what he does? Eh, see you in court. And Jesus is warning him, hey man, you let this thing go, you keep putting it off, you keep procrastinating about getting right with God, 
This thing's going to end up much worse than you think. You're going to be punished, and so, so severely, you're not coming out until every last mite has been paid. This is serious. This is urgent. You need to get on top of this right now, right away. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he was, then you can just kick back and say, well, we'll see. I think when, you know, when I get to the judgment, I think God will probably say it's okay. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because I talk to people every week, and that's the answer they give me. I chat with them on the street. What's going to happen when you stand before God? If he asks you, sir, ma'am, why should I let you live with me in heaven forever? Their answer is, more often than not, I think God will be okay with me. You know, God's merciful. I think, I think he'll just forgive me. It doesn't work like that. You owe him a debt. The wages of sin is death. Hold your place here. Just quickly look at Matthew chapter 18. I want to show you something. We're going to talk about your sin debt towards God, but I want to show you something about your sin debt towards other people. Matthew 18. Let's look at verse 18. Matthew 18 and 18. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Matthew 18 and verse 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. To bind something is to hold on to it. It is to hold the grudge. To loose it is to forgive it. To say, you're no longer, I'm not holding this against you. You don't have to pay for that. Done. So the problem you have with that other person, whoever it is, if you don't fix it now while you're here on this earth, it will be dealt with later. It's an open case. It's still pending. And when you get to the judgment, God will say, now, you and you, come here, let's get this sorted. If you loose it now, it's done. You've judged it. It doesn't need to be judged later. But do you understand the urgency in this? You perhaps just put it off and ignore it. I, I, when I was growing up, I watched a show called Cheers. How many of you know this show, Cheers? I, I wasn't saved and, well, anyway, it, it was one of my favorite shows. One of the key characters is a man named Sam Malone. Sam was kind of a goofball in that show and, and not an upright guy by any means. But his friend Woody was dealing with a big problem. He said, Sam, Sam, what do I do? And Sam's advice was this. He said, well, Woody, you can do what I do. Just ignore the problem and it'll go away. That's not how you get problems to go away. Not this problem. Th not, not this problem. These sins you've committed, whether it's against another person or against God, it must be dealt with. You say, well, I won't do it. Okay, not on this earth you won't, but you will. And back in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said in verse 59, Thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. Friend, listen please. As we think about our sins toward God, if you have never come to Christ and ask Him to wash away your sins in His blood, you are still in your sins. And if you die in your sins, there is no getting out of your sins. Do you understand what, what the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 11, it says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. If you enter eternity filthy with your sins, you will never be unfilthy. You'll never be clean. You will suffer and pay for those sins for as long as you're in the sins, which is forever. 
Jesus knows how urgent, how serious this is. And he's trying to bring to their attention, go to your judge now. Go to the one you've offended now. And find a solution, find a resolution And friend, I'm glad to tell you today, there is a resolution. There is an answer. There is a way to have your sins removed as far as the east is from the west. John the Baptist said it more eloquently than anybody else could. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You don't have to die in your sin. You can die in Christ. What does the Bible say about dying in Him? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because I'm not going to be in my sins forever. I'm in Christ forever. The payment has been made. He paid it on the cross. If you've never accepted that, friend, please see the urgency of the situation. Don't miss it. It's right there. It's been presented right in front of you. Time to act on it. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a few minutes and think about this. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pianist will come and play something softly. Do you need to react today? Do you need to come down to this altar and talk to the Lord? If, if the Lord has touched your heart and said, this is paining me. I see a fire burning in your home. I see your Bible is closed. And you can't recognize when I'm speaking to you. I see that there are some issues, some sins that you have been ignoring. Let's deal with them. How about you come down to this altar and say, Lord, I don't want to leave here until it's dealt with. If you've never been saved, you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today, friend. All your sins can be washed away. You don't have to die in your sins. Perhaps the idea of coming to an altar is something that you're not used to. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Obey the Holy Spirit. If He's touching your heart, react. If you need to kneel where you're at, kneel. If you got questions, you're not sure how to react, find me afterwards. All I can do is show you from the Bible what the Lord said about that issue but I'd be happy to help I'd be happy to help say preacher I I get it something's not right I know I need to do something a really good first step is to draw nigh to God that's why we give this altar call so you can take a step you draw nigh to God he'll draw nigh to you that's the deal Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Perhaps when I mentioned that part about sinning against another person, perhaps the Lord brought somebody to your mind. If He did, can I ask you to not let it go another day? pray about it, go home, make that phone call invite them out for coffee 
sit down and say, brother, sister, friend, family member, whoever they are, I want us to make this right. That fire of contention, you can put that fire out. Before we close, can I just ask if there's somebody here, and folks, this is a, a moment of privacy, so that's why we have you with your heads bowed and eyes closed, but if somebody's here, if you're here, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never called out to Him and said, Lord, please save me, save my soul, wash me clean. If you've never done that, all I can do right now is pray for you, I, I'm not going to save you, obviously. I, I just want to pray that God helps you to make the right decision. If you're here and say, Preacher, I've never done that, would you slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Anybody like that? Thank you. Anybody else? Say, Preacher, pray for me. Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Amen. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. If I died right now, I'm not sure how that judgment would go. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it takes courage to lift your hand. It takes some courage. If you won't admit it to me, how could you possibly admit it to an almighty God? Who am I? I appreciate you folks raising your hand. We're going to pray, and if you have questions, you're welcome to stop me. I'd love to help if I can. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. I'm sorry, Lord, that so often we miss it. We, we miss what he's doing right now today in our lives. God, I'm sorry that we're so distracted that we, we don't see the light of the world shining right in front of us. Help us, Lord, to open our Bibles, open our hearts. Help us, God, to make things right in our homes and in our, in our social circles. Father, help us to do something with what you've given us in your Son. Father, for those that lifted their hands, I pray that God, please, before they leave the building today, they would know the joy that comes with having all their sins washed away. Father, please save them even today. Thank you for working amongst us. Please dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.